um, for any length of time, you know that there's two times a year pastors like to start new sermon series. One of those is after Christmas, and one of those is after Easter, and so uh, keeping in that I don't know if I would say tradition, maybe habit would be in a more appropriate description, but uh, we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series today entitled Living the Dream, Living the Dream. We hear that phrase used quite a bit in our culture today. Uh, typically, it means, uh, you know, having that place in life where things are going really well, where you're, you're experiencing the things that you want to experience, you're doing the things that you want to do, you're living that life that you would want to live. But as we look to our lives as Christians, um, I want to do a little twist on the phrase uh, for the next, actually, uh, a few months. This will be one of our longer sermon series that we'll go through and, and talk about the fact that I think as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we don't always reach that level of truly living the dream. I, I think too often we get stuck with dreaming the dream. Because we have great intentions, uh, we have great desires of what we want to see take place in, in our lives. If, if I was to ask you, I'm sure you could come up with a list of, of what you would like to see in your, in your life as a, as a follower of Jesus. Uh, we can come up with the list well, we, we know it's the things that God would want, but in terms of living it out, um, maybe we're not, we're not hitting all cylinders. Maybe we're not that at 100% place. And so uh, we know that we'd like to pray a little bit more than we do on an average basis. We'd like to, to be better at reading God's word and studying God's word and reflecting and meditating on God's word. We'd like to be better about seizing those opportunities and those moments when God opens the door for us to, to share our story, to share the good news of, of Christ. We, we wish that we responded a little bit better in a little more God-honoring manner when, when stress creeps into our existence. We wish that we, we relied on God a little bit more and on ourselves a little bit less and we could go on with this list. We know that there's things that we'd like to change, uh, but we haven't quite reached that point. So how do we get to living the dream rather than just dreaming the dream? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about uh, for uh, several weeks. Uh, and before we move into that, I thought it would be helpful for us to lay a little bit of a foundation. In fact, we're going to be doing this for a couple of weeks. This is almost... Um, laying the foundation for, for what is, is yet to come in, in some ways. And so uh, this morning what I want to do is I want to focus on um, the life of a, of a prophet from the Old Testament by the name of Isaiah. You've probably heard the name before, he even has a book uh, with his title on it in the Old Testament. Uh, but we're going to be looking at Isaiah, uh, the eighth chapter of this uh, coming day. And, and so I want to, to encourage you just to, as you hear the story, give some thought to um, those things that took place in Isaiah's life that maybe, in fact, I would suggest probably have a very strong correlation um, to the lives that God calls us to live as well. As we do that, I, I want to go back to a point that we've talked about a number of times over the years, and, and that is the, the, the challenge that is before us in today's society to, uh, to live truly as what I would call vibrant disciples 
of Jesus, vibrant disciples of Jesus. Because for too many people in the church, big C church, um, maybe even the little C church, we fall into that habit, that pattern of, of living as passive believers. And what's the difference? Well, passive believers are, are those that simply uh, meet the minimum requirements that are needed to get into heaven. They've got their foot in the door, and that's a good thing. Don't want to minimize that. But, but they fail to experience and, and enjoy all that God would desire for us as, as Christ followers. I have a daughter who is the head of the human resources department at a university in Colorado. And as a part of her role, uh, one of the things that she does is she helps on occasion to be uh, involved in the, the hiring process, uh, whether that be for faculty or staff or administrative uh, personnel. And one of the things that they'll do at sort of the beginning of that process is, is they'll put together a job description which is sort of the minimum qualifications, the minimum criteria uh, that they're looking for. But my daughter would be the first to tell you that they hope that they never hire someone that has just the minimum qualifications. They really hope that there will come a, a place where they've got candidates, individuals that they can, they can hire who, who excel that, who bring more experience, who bring more wisdom, more expertise to whatever the position might have. They're looking for more. And I think the same is true in terms of God and, and our relationship with him. He's looking for more in terms of, of, of what he would like us to experience as, as followers of, of Jesus. And so our, our desire is to, to be that vibrant disciple that he would call us to. Now, when I talk about vibrant, I'm not talking about high energy. I'm not talking about someone that's got great enthusiasm or, or someone that's just an extrovert. Um, there are people out there like that. Um, they can be very fun to be around. I enjoy the company of those folks. But for most of us, that's not the category we would probably place ourselves, which is okay. You know, we even look at the lives of the apostles, and there were a few that might have been sort of that, that extrovert kind of person. We think of Peter and maybe a few others, but for the most part, I think the apostles were probably a pretty ordinary folks, just like you and like me. And so God takes us in that role, and he, and he takes us in that position. And, and so when I talk about vibrancy here, I'm not talking about energy level. Instead, I'm talking about a willingness to be actively engaged in the things that God calls us to. Actively is in like daily engaged in those things that God would lead us to in our, in our walk with him. And as I think about in my own life, those that, that I would describe as having had a or having lived a, a vibrant discipleship life, there's really three or four sort of um, markers in their life that I can look back and, and see. Things like, uh, for example, they are individuals who love to worship God. Uh, whether that be singing, whether that be praying, uh, whether it be just thanking God as they're walking down the side, sidewalk, their, their hearts are drawn to that because they're so appreciative of what they see God doing. They're so grateful to be in relationship with him. They love that opportunity to worship him. Uh, there are also people who seize those, those times where God opens the door for them uh, to share uh, God's story, to share the good news of Jesus. Now, uh, they're, not they're not forceful about that. They're not pushy about that. 
But as soon as God opens that door, as soon as the, the Holy Spirit creaks that door open just a little bit, they're ready to share what God has done in their life and what they know God would like to do in the person's life. It's kind of like a spring-loaded mechanism, if you've ever seen one of those. As soon as the opportunity presents itself, they're, they're ready for it. And then thirdly, um, there are individuals who, who are excited about taking God's people and helping them to grow in their faith. So you might say uh, if, if, if helping uh, or if seizing that moment to share their faith means uh, working or, or ministering to the lost, uh, then they want to minister to the found by providing opportunities in those individuals' lives to, uh, to equip them, to empower them, to encourage them so that they might continue on in, a, in an adventure with God. Those are all things that, that I think uh, I see in the lives of those that, that I would call vibrant disciples. But for that to happen, there, there needs to be one uh, sort of a preceding decision, one preceding step or stage that needs to occur in an individual's life. And that is we need to decide that's the path we want to go down. That's the journey we want to take. That's the life we want to live. Because one of the great things about God is that he never forces himself on us. He provides opportunities for us, but he waits for us uh, to come to him to seize those moments. Remember, it talks about God's knocking at the door of our hearts when we first enter into relationship. He doesn't push it open. He doesn't fling it and, and force himself into our lives. He waits for us uh, to initiate that. I think that same thing is true in our walk with God in terms of discipleship. And so as we invite him in, then, then God begins to do some wonderful, extraordinary things in our lives. And it's that step of, of inviting God in that, that we're going to look at as we talk a little bit about Isaiah this morning. Again, looking at the sixth chapter. Um, and let me just read some of the verses that, that speak to one particular incident in Isaiah's life that I want to focus on for today. Beginning there in the first verse of that sixth chapter of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, kind of like you, you imagine a bride when they have the long trains that follow. It's that beautiful imagery there. Above him were seraphim, which are simply angelic beings, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. As Isaiah saw that, he, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am ruined, I am destroyed. I am a, a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who shall I send out into the world then? Who will go for us? The us here referring to the Trinity. And I said, Isaiah saying here, and I said, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. You see, Isaiah made a decision in that moment 
He said, send me. I'm, I'm the one that will go. I'm the one that will carry your message. I'm the one that will go and, and be your representative. And that's, I think, what God calls us to. That's a, a part of what it means to be a vibrant disciple of Jesus. Now, the word sent here, the, the Hebrew for that is a shalak, which means to put forth, to, to put forward. But it, it's not just a, an issue here of geographic location. When Isaiah is saying, send me, he's not just saying, move me from point A to point B. The implication here clearly is that, is that he wants to be used by God, that the intention is that he's raising his hand and saying, I will go and do whatever you want me to do. I'll go and say whatever you want me to say. I'll go and be in whatever place you want me to be. And so I think it's a, a little bit clearer for us in our understanding if we, if we change that just a little bit and say, here I am, use me. Here I am, God, use me. And as, as obvious as that seems in terms of, of how we should respond to God, it's interesting as we look to his word to discover that's not always how uh, people respond to this call by God. So let's look at a couple of examples of that. Uh, one of those would be Jonah. You remember Jonah, he's the fish guy. Uh, he's the one that gets swallowed by the whale after he, he's not following exactly what God would have him to do. And it's described for us here in Jonah, the first chapter with these words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, which was known for being evil and filled with, with uh, lots of bad, bad things. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. God placed a call on his life. And how did Jonah respond? Well, he said, here am I. But I'm not going. God, I'm not going to do it. And, and, and part of what's surprising to me is, is he doesn't even try to give an excuse here. He just says flat out, I guess I appreciate his honesty. God, I am not going to do what you have called me to do. And for some people, that's the path they take in terms of their walk and their relationship with God. They know what God would lead them toward or maybe have a sense of that. But, you know, they're just too busy at the moment. They've got commitments and obligations. They have, they have kids they need to, to raise, money they need to earn. And so they're just not going to do it. Uh, there's another example of how people respond, and, and that's found in, in the life of Moses. Again, you recall Moses. He's the guy that led the people of Israel out of slavery uh, under the, the, the reign of Pharaoh uh, back in the day. And, and so uh, the, the time comes when, when God is wanting to free his people and he chooses Moses to be the one to bring that about. Uh, Moses has an encounter with God with a burning bush. And as a part of the, the conversation there at that burning bush, God tells Moses he's got some things he wants Moses to do. And immediately, Moses launches into all kinds of excuses of why he can't do that. You know, God, I'm not a very good speaker. I, I stutter sometimes. I, I'm not clear in, in the way I explain things. I can't organize my thoughts very well. You need to find somebody else, Lord. And he, he goes on and on, and God kind of rebukes him in, in various times with that. And finally, God just has enough of this excuse giving, and he has this to say. The Lord said to Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord, indicating that God's in control of everything? 
Now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. You would think God sort of said, okay, enough of it. That's it. Here's what's going to happen. But Moses isn't quite finished either. And so this is Moses' response. But Moses said, "Mm, pardon me or pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. Please send someone else. And again, too often we find in the lives of individuals uh, that it's so easy for us to come up with excuses or or reasons that we're not going to do what God calls us to. We're not smart enough. We're we're not deep enough in our faith. We're not eloquent enough. There's there's others that are better equipped to do it. God, uh, pick them. It's so easy when God calls us to live the life of a vibrant disciple to to ignore that or, or move away from that. But what God calls us to, again, is what we see demonstrated in the life of, of Isaiah. Moses said, here am I, but send someone else. But when it came to Isaiah, what was his response? Isaiah's response was this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. Here am I, Father, take me to that place where you want me to be. So with Isaiah sort of as the, the role model for us, let's, let's talk just a little bit about the situation in which this occurs. Isaiah, at this particular moment, had been a prophet for about 18 years. He's, he's doing um, his prophetic work under the, the reign of a king named Uzziah. Uh, Uzziah had started off as a really good king, um, had turned the people's hearts back toward God after a long season of them being involved in idol worship. Started off really well, and God saw that and recognized that, and, and so God blessed him in the midst of, of his work there, and the nation of Israel grew, and, and they became more powerful and, and wealthier. But as too often is the case, as, as they grew in strength and in power and influence, uh, the leadership, King Uzziah, began to think more and more it was his accomplishments that were achieving that and, and forgetting that it was God who was behind him. And so he began to take more and more credit for himself and giving less and less credit to God, ultimately reaching the place uh, where he even felt empowered to step in and, and fulfill some priestly duties. Now, if you know your Old Testament at all, when it comes to the temple, God is really touchy about those who are allowed to go in and, and do the work of the temple. And so on one particular occasion when, oh, when King Uzziah went in and, and assumed one of those priestly responsibilities, uh, God said, enough. And he struck King Uzziah with leprosy, which he had until he died. And it's at that point that, uh, again, we, we sort of pick things up where we, we hear what it is that God's calling Isaiah to be about here. Isaiah saying, here am I, send me, here am I, use me. And so as we we go into that, we see that one of the first things that happens in in Isaiah's walk with God in in that journey of moving into this place of being a vibrant disciple is that he has a personal encounter with God. He has a personal encounter with God. We've already heard it, but let me go back to it one more time. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. So, so what's happened here is, is Isaiah's having a vision. He's not seeing uh, God really in, in uh, face-to-face in, in real time because nobody could see God and, and survive. And so he has this vision. He has this, this, this image of, of what's happening there in, in God's presence. He has a personal encounter with God. And not only does he experience God there, but, but we see that there's others that are involved. There are the seraphim, um, those, those angelic beings that, that God has as a part of his creation. One of the things that we know uh, about seraphim is uh, that there's not great a number of, of uh, examples in which they are described for us in Scripture. In fact, the, the term seraphim is only used here in this one example in Isaiah But one of the things that we know is that they had the wonderful privilege of being constantly in God's presence. Uh, Another thing that we know is that they had the honor of constantly praising God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it appears one of the other duties that they had was that they were individuals who were called to to make sure that those that stood before God came as individuals who are righteous. And so in the pecking order of, of angelic beings, it's sort of understood that seraphim were at the top of this because of the, the unique and wonderful role that they had. Now, I, I know that probably few, probably none of us here, when we first entered into a relationship with God, um, had an angelic being come and visit us, or we probably didn't have a vision that took us into the, the presence of God. But that doesn't mean that we didn't have a personal encounter with God. I know that I did. I, I trust, I hope that that was the case for you as well. As God's spirit began to work within us, as he began to help us to see those, those things in our lives that, that, that called us toward a, a walk with him, we became more and more aware of, of there's something more than, than just us. There is this presence of God within us. And so we may not have the vision, we may not see uh, the seraphim, but we do have that encounter with God. Second thing that we see happen in in the life of of Isaiah as he's moving to that place where he could could, could honestly and and with joy say, send me, was, was he gained a greater understanding of his sinfulness, the greater understanding of his sinfulness. As we look to the passage, we come to that place where Isaiah is standing there before God and, and he sees what's happening and he cries out, Woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. One of the interesting things as we, we draw closer to God in our walk and our relationship with him, as we become more and more aware of his holiness and his, his omniscience and omnipotence and, and omnipresence, is that not only do we recognize just how great he is, but we become aware of the distance uh, that we have from him in terms of, of who he is and who we are, of just how holy he is and how unholy we are. And if the story ended there, it would be sort of discouraging that that's the, the place that we rock around is this, this feeling of, of just how inadequate, how flawed we are. But it doesn't. It goes on to say a, a third thing that, that um, Isaiah found here. Uh, oh, and here's another example of, of someone who found themselves feeling inadequate. Uh, Peter here in the New Testament in Luke 5. When Peter saw this, this being the great catch of fish 
that he had uh, experienced with uh, James and John when Jesus had told them to throw out their, their nets. And uh, Peter was reluctant to do that because he'd already been fishing for the day and, and yet sort of to appease God or to appease Jesus, he says, okay, I'll do that. And when he did that, they had the catch of a lifetime. And as they're experiencing that catch, uh, as they move back into shore, it says, uh, Peter saw this, saw the, the great working of Jesus. And he fell at Jesus' knee and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. As Peter experienced, as, as Isaiah experienced, perhaps as you have experienced as well, as we grow closer to God, we become more aware of just that, that chasm that exists between us. But the story doesn't end there, for which we thank God. The third thing that, that happened here in, in Isaiah's life is that he experienced God's grace. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, uh, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God moved Isaiah to a place where, uh, where he experienced God's grace, where he experienced God's forgiveness, where he could stand before God is righteous, not because of anything Isaiah had done, but because of the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God. Now, why the focus on the lips? I'm not really sure about that. Um, it could be that something bad happened right prior to this that, that Isaiah still had on his mind. Um, maybe he had cussed somebody out. Maybe he'd said inappropriate uh, response to a, in a conversation. I honestly think it's representative of all of who Isaiah was, not just his lips, but his entire being. And in that, we see that, that, that he gets to experience God's grace and mercy. And once more, we see that that's not just a, an Old Testament thing isolated to this one incident with, with Isaiah. We, we read in Romans 8 these wonderful words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a part of what we celebrated last week with Easter is the fact that there is now no condemnation for us because of what Jesus did on the cross and because on the third day that tomb was empty. That God defeated the power of death. And in that victory, we get to rejoice with God as well. And so we see these three things happen that sort of laid the, the groundwork, sort of put in place the foundation for, for Isaiah to be able to move to that point of saying, uh, send me, use me, God. Uh, we see that he had that personal encounter, God. We see that he, he understood more fully just the chasm between uh, who God was and, and who he was. And then he experienced, embraced, enjoyed God's gift of grace as well. And so part of what I want us to think about as we move into this new series is, are we ready to be at a place in our lives where we're willing to pray that prayer or say those words, God, send me, God, use me? Because it's our decision. Again, God rarely forces us into roles. Are you at that place in your life? And before you respond to that, I want to warn you that if you say that, it's a little bit of a dangerous prayer. You know, it's sort of like praying for patience, because this is one of those prayers that God almost always uh, answers in the affirmative. If we pray to God, use us, odds are overwhelmingly that he's going to do that. He's going to take you and, 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 and take your life and, and, and use it in a manner that, that furthers the work of his kingdom, that proclaims the good news of Jesus 
And we see that here, if we go back to the, the text for today, as we were looking at that, that description, it says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And what's the very next phrase there? What's the very next verse? And God said, the Lord said, go. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to dwell on it. He didn't have to reflect for a little bit. God just said, go. There's things that I'm ready. There's things that I want you to do. And then he goes on to explain what some of those things are in regards to a message he wants proclaimed to the people of Israel. And in the same way that Isaiah was given that command, go, God will probably give that to us as well. Whom shall I send? Is it your hand that goes up? Are you the one that's ready to, to say to God, send me, Lord, use me? I hope so, because as we move forward from, uh, from this Sunday, it'll become more and more apparent of, of how God can bless us and use us in this new adventure that awaits. There are some wonderful things that God will do in our lives to help bring about that, that work that he wants to do through us. It's not all easy. Um, I can't even though say it's all fun, but it is all joy filled because God's there with us. It is all wonderful in the sense that it helps uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus. It helps further the work of his kingdom. And so as we move forward from this Sunday, may we give some thought to that prayer of Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Are you ready to say, send me? Are you ready to say, use me? That's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for you as well. Amen.